from the Andes Mountains to the Caribbean Sea, Colombia is the second most biodiverse country in the world. History in Colombia has taken on many forms, including mass amounts of violence, but also a peaceful, art-filled culture. Welcome back to our podcast. Today we're going to be discussing the post-World War II history of the third world country known as Colombia. Screams filled the air on the night of April 9th, 1948. Presidential candidate Gaitan was assassinated. This led to an uproar of violence from the Liberal Party in Colombia. Gaitan was mostly concerned with the well-being of the poor people of Colombia, and one of his goals was to raise the status of the uh, poor people in Colombia's society. So Miguel, who actually assassinated Gaitan? Well, the man who assassinated him was known as Juan Saria, and why he did it is because he was part of the conservative party. And in order for Gaitan to help out the poor people, the conservative people and the more like richer people of Colombia were going to be taxed. And that did not sound appealing to them. And ultimately, Gaitan got assassinated because of this. Okay, so after Gaitan was assassinated, then this... Uh this violence happened known as Bogotazo. Yeah. So, uh, what exactly was Bogotazo? Well, the Bogotazo was basically um, when the Liberal Party found out about the assassination through like radio stations and stuff like that. They just got it filled them with anger and stuff, and uh, they just took the streets. They looted stores. They got weapons. They they looted and got guns, lead pipes, knives, machetes, axes, basically anything that they could use. They rioted government buildings and just caused an uproar of violence, which lasted over 10 hours. And in those 10 hours, 3,000 people died. And um, yeah, it was very violent. So obviously the Liberal Party didn't just sit back and watch while this uh, the, violence the was happening. The Conservative Party, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, so who, what did they do, um, what did the Liberals do after that? Did they have, like, a person that would stepped out and said something? Yes, um, they nominated Dario to replace Gaitan as chairman, and, um, Dario spoke out against the rioters from, like, a balcony and told them to please stop, because it's just gonna lead to more violence, which it did, and, uh, the Conservative Party even unleashed their military, on the rioters, but that cannot, couldn't even stop them, and um, but they eventually had to shut down all the radio stations, which were inflaming the rioters, and which just caused violence. So they just cut off the radio stations. Okay, so you talked about uh, the violence, and as we'll see uh, throughout this podcast, violence is definitely going to be a theme in post-World War II Colombian history. Yes. Uh, so would this be like kind of the precursor to all this violence that happens afterwards? Yes, yes it will. Um, this is definitely like the beginning point where Colombia just falls into just... There's a ton of violence that goes out from here. Even today, there's a bunch of violence in Colombia right now. And we were talking about the poor people, right? And this is a really... Colombia is a really poor economy, right? Yes, it is a third world country. Yeah, so is it on, like, the poor side of third world countries in terms of, like... Or... I mean, it's not on the poor side, but it's still pretty poor. Okay. Um. So, yeah, talk about, like... So, uh... 
let's say you're a um, liberal supporter who hears that you're you're one hope you're one shot at getting uh, a better life is killed How, take me through some of like the emotions that you're going through and what you're feeling what uh, what what one person would do in that situation well as you said they yes the one shot because like being a poor person in Colombia is much harder than being a poor person in America. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, because, like, in Colombia, you you really... It's really hard to, like, change your class and, like, social class and stuff. It's it's unbelievably hard. And it, basically, if you're born into a class, then you're pretty much stuck there. And there's not much that you can do to uh, move up. And this is why they're so dependent on a guy like Gaitan to be president, because this would help them so much. But he was assassinated and that just filled them with anger which they took it out on the streets and yeah which is a total contrast from what america is where we you know the american dream is all about like just getting out of your class and uh making your life better based on doing hard work and you know uh so uh so this this was not like a one and done deal, right? After after Bogotazo, there was a lot more violence after yes. that, right? Yes, Bogotazo. The Bogotazo ultimately led to La Violencia, which was an which was a ten year war between the two parties, from the liberals and the conservatives, and this was very violent. But we'll get into that next. Shortly after the Bogotazo, a 10-year civil war followed. The war was between the conservatives and the liberals, and it was known as La Violencia. So, how many people actually died in this bloody civil war? Well, around 200,000 people lost their lives. And they lost them due to guerrilla armies known as Los Chorsmados, and they would attack innocent people that thought that were part of the liberal party. And uh, they had pretty um, gruesome ways of killing them. The, uh, the first one was called the flower vase, and the victim would be decapitated, and um, all of their limbs would be chopped off, and they would stuff their limbs into their throat, creating a torso with limbs coming out of the neck, and therefore it looked like a human bouquet of flowers. What about the second one? Was there another one? Yes, there was another one. It was called uh, the Colombian necktie. They would slit the uh, victim's throat and pull their th- uh, tongue through the slit. Oh. Yeah. So, so 200,000 people is a huge percent of the population yes. of Colombia, right? Yes. So how did this, like, this bloody civil war affect, like, the common people? Well, um... It, it just a lot of this violence really like really like just it took over like corrupted yeah corrupted Kinda. yeah it corrupted like for example uh pablo escobar um he grew up in this time like for instance in 1956 his um city the city he was living in uh rio negro was uh invaded and raided and he was only seven years old at the time and uh, in the middle of the night, he heard gunshots followed by screams and bodies being dragged across the uh, roads. And he said that he remembers his parents saying that they're going to kill them, but they're going to save the kids. They, he remembers hiding underneath the bed and um, hearing 
Los Chismados trying to break down their door. And um, when they failed, they just set his house on fire and burned it to the ground. Pablo's family did survive, but being exposed to that, like, mass amounts of violence at such a young age, like at seven years old, led to a fearless evil kingpin that he became. Yeah, and, like, it's weird, huh, how this, like, repeating pattern of violence just continues to appear throughout Colombia's history. I mean, yeah. you have, it's like a chain reaction from the uh, Bogotá and now Pablo Escobar and his drug empire. Yeah, and that just leads on to more stuff. And yeah, um, La Violencia, as I said, it lasted 10 years from 1948 to 1958. And uh, yeah, yeah, it was, um, it was very violent. Uh, there we go. Like, therefore, getting its name yeah, la violencia yeah. which means the, the violence. violence yeah and yeah so now we're going to going to get into how uh pablo escobar started his uh drug business and how he first got into the cocaine like empire throughout our podcast you will realize that violence is a reoccurring theme and pablo escobar's time is by far the most violent out of them all so, how did Pablo actually get into the cocaine business? Well, it all started in Chile, which was on its way to become a narco state. And the cocaine business is run by uh, a man who went by the name of Cucoracha. And he actually got this nickname from when their drug business was invaded by a uh, leader, the leader of Chile, uh, the military-like dictator. His name was Pinochet. And he ordered everybody involved in the drug business to be shot down uh however the bullets missed uh cucoracha and he uh just played dead and waited and waited for all them to leave and then when the time came he got up and ran packed up his stuff and he traveled to where the best smugglers come from so he went to colombia so uh so once cucaracha got there i'm assuming he introduced pablo to this cocaine well cocaine. yes he um he had to find the perfect person to introduce to introduce this cocaine and get him selling it. And he had four, or yeah, he had four options actually. He had the Ochoa brothers and Gacha, which are the other main leaders of the Medellin cartel later on. But he decided to pick Pablo because his personality and just like the way he dealt with like smuggling stuff was just a perfect, right, like the like the best option that he had. And, um, so he introduced his product to Pablo and Pablo began selling it in Miami and places like that. And he was actually first able to do that by, um, planes piloted by his friend Carlos and, um, and he was actually half German, half Colombian and he would fly over the uncharted waters and he would drop off cocaine to, um, somebody named uh el leon which went meant the lion and um he then sold the cocaine uh to the like distributors in miami and on average um they would uh send upwards to like 500 uh kilos per day which is like a which is like about north of fifteen million dollars. Yeah, because each kilo is like around thirty-three thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Yeah, so that's definitely more than fifteen million. Yes. Yeah. So, 
So you mentioned like um, Ochoa Brothers and Jose Rodriguez Gacha also yeah. um, were part of this Medellin cartel. Yes. What was Pablo's relationship with them? Well, they were all smugglers. The Ochoa brothers were like these very, they were very rich and they just like, and they were like the main, they like kind of like took care of all like the business type of deal. And, um, and Pablo was really good friends with them and that's how, that was like the foundation. And their like biggest like form of like power, I guess, comes from Jose Rodriguez Gacha and he was actually an emerald smuggler. He smuggled a ton of emeralds because Colombia is like has a lot of emeralds in it, and he would just smuggle he would smuggle them, and he was very violent. He would kill all of his partners and stuff like that, and um, so he uh, was also one of the main leaders in the Medellin cartel, and um, yeah, so that's how it all started. And the time period was around 1973 uh, to like 1976 was like the very beginning. Uh huh. So. Yeah, so once Pablo started to his, like, drug empire and got into the really, like, depths of it, do you think he, like, did he, like, what uh, happened to his other, like, uh, partners in the business? Well, we'll get into that in the next uh, segment of um, our podcast. It's based on the downfall of the Medellin Cartel. So, yeah, we'll get into that next. Although Pablo's drug empire was very successful, all great empires come to an end. So, how, like, successful was Pablo? Well, um, he was responsible for around 80% of the cocaine worldwide. Dang, that's a lot. Yeah. So, what was his net worth? His net worth was around $30 billion, but in today's money, that's around $55 billion. Oh, wow. Um, so, so yeah, so... He's very rich. Yeah. So, what kind of personality... He's the richest criminal to ever live. Wow. That's crazy. So, what was his personality like? Like... He was very, very violent. He had all these types of methods of torturing people. And, like, yeah, he was very violent. And, um... He was not somebody you wanted to, like... Like, uh... Betray or or anybody. Just... He... He caused a lot of trouble, and um, he actually ran for president. He got elected at Columbia. At, yeah, he got elected as Senate, and um, and he was one of the last candidates. And actually, the other candidate he assassinated, and um, it, the guy's name was Gailan, and it was a public assassination. Gailan was giving a speech out into the public, and he Pablo hired. Um, his cartel members and they shot him down in the middle of the street wow yeah that's crazy so he really did have control of colombia yes he he owned pretty much the entire police there too mm-hmm. which is crazy that's and crazy yeah. yeah yeah he yeah he had a lot of power he had a lot of money and he was very violent so mm-hmm. yeah so, how did his empire end up falling then? Because it seems like it's almost infallible at this point. I mean, only Pablo's death probably could have stopped the Medellin cartel at this point. Well, um, the downfall actually started during the mid-80s. And um, it was 
it's had uh there's many factors to this and one was the rise of the Cali cartel which is a different city in Colombia and they had their own cartel and they were like kind of friends with these this group of people called Los Pepes and these people their main goal was to assassinate everybody in the Medellin cartel and it was very this was just gruesome they would kill them hang their bodies like on power lines like just oh in my. the middle of the place like like for, all right Medellin has like the top five is like the top five best place to visit for like Christmas lights there's mm -hmm. a tons of Christmas lights oh. everywhere they have a giant show and um one Christmas Los Pepes killed a bunch of Medellin uh cartel members and just hung them on the lights like everywhere oh it's crazy that's crazy and off um like a, a lot of the time Los Pepes and Medellin cartel the members they all look the same you can't tell them apart from each other so half the time they just shoot random innocent people thinking or yeah yeah and so yes those were some like very 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 uh big factors into the downfall and another one is the u.s government because the u.s government at this time their main goal was finding and tracking down pablo and killing him and um yeah so they did they find pablo well yes we'll get into that later but um pablo was actually at the time the last leader of the medicine cartel left um gotcha was killed by the dea by a helicopter a helicopter shot him down and um the Ochoa brothers began to work for the Cali cartel and betrayed Pablo and um and so Pablo this just made him like really mad and he had to move like house to house almost every single week moving his entire family his wife his kids all this and um he actually ha owned over 300 houses in Colombia that's crazy yeah and he also had houses worldwide too and he, had, yeah, as I said, he had to move in a new house almost every single week, and um, in order not to get caught by the either the DEA or the government. What is the DEA? It's the like drug, um, like agent people that yeah, yeah, like, try, yeah. Mm -hmm. and um, yeah, um, so um. One of his members, his name was La Kika, and he, uh, the DEA actually captured him. And at the same time, Pablo was planning an attack on the Cali cartel. And so they were about to go in the war, but once uh, they captured La Kika, La Kika kind of like snitched on Pablo and told him what happened, or like what they're gonna do. And they sent like the military, the Colombian, the US military, all to this one spot and killed all the Medellin cartel members. And the last ones left were Pablo and um, this other guy named Limon. And um, and they, like, they made a getaway to live, like, with Pablo's father in, like, the countryside. And um, so they could stay out of the range of the DEA. And actually, at this time, the DEA and the government had uh, Pablo's family. They had his um, mom. They had his wife. And they had his two kids. And, um... Yeah, they were keeping them hostage in an apartment in Medellin, Colombia. And actually, before they, um, or the reason why they got them captured is because Pablo wanted to get them out of Colombia because it was getting too dangerous. And with them, he sent this radio and they tried flying to Germany. They actually landed in Germany. And by the time they went there, they found a bunch of cash in, um, and, uh, 
Pablo's wife's bag. And they said, we cannot let you in uh, Germany with all this cash because there's like at least like a couple hundred million dollars in there. And they're like, we can't, I'm sorry, but we can't let you into the country with this much cash that's illegal. And so they sent them back to Colombia and the government was able to capture them and put them in an apartment to keep hostage. And Pablo was talking through them uh, to his family through the radio. And actually the government was trying to track him down through that. And so he had to live in the countryside where he was out of reach. And, um, but Pablo was a very, he was a, like a family person. He loved his family. That's like his main concern. If anything concerned his family, he would be there for them. And, um, he actually, one time he, he burned over $5 million only to keep his daughter warm for one night. And, um, but yeah, but, um, so yeah, he lived in the countryside with Limon, but they eventually moved back to Medellin so he could um, talk to his family again through this little radio. And um, but eventually, the DEA and the government tra uh, tracked him down, and and it just went from violence from here on out. Like uh, Limon and Pablo, they got on rooftops with guns and were shooting down military, uh, uh, Colombian military and U.S. military people. And they shot a, a lot of them down, and but uh, eventually, uh, uh, one of the people killed Limon, and then a sniper hit Pablo, and he fell on the roof, and then uh, they shot him in the head. So that was it. That was how Pablo died, and he died on the roofs of, of houses in Medellin, and yeah. So that's so, how it went down. So was it like a celebration when Pablo was finally killed? Yeah, it was. It was pretty crazy. Um, uh, the DEA took a bunch of pictures with, with like them, like with their gun standing over the dead body, smiling, and uh, there's there's a lot of celebration, and um, yeah. What, what about those who worked for the Medellin cartel? Though? Well, most of them were already dead, but the ones that were actually still alive, they burnt all of his money, pretty much all of it, because he hid his money and buried it, uh, so the government couldn't find it because he didn't want to put it in banks or anything. Uh, because then it would be easy for it to get stolen. So he'd mostly bury it in form of either gold or cash. And the ones in cash, they just burned all of it down. And um, But there's estimated to be around um, $10 billion still buried in Colombia right now. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah, so... Um, yeah, so he died in uh, December of 1993. Wow. So... What was it like during Pablo's time? Oh, this it, this is definitely it was very violent, especially for the people living in Medellin. Um, they describe it as you could not go into a different neighborhood without getting shot. Uh, but the, especially with the Medellin cartel and Los Pepes, all, all of them fighting each other, that it just caused a lot of violence. And um, they'd be uh, like, um, it wouldn't be a common sight to see tanks helicopters all the stuff going through the city and um yeah so yeah so it must have been a really yeah, like yeah. violent time pablo he was yeah as, as we said before he was very violent and he would actually um and especially in bogota he would bomb a lot of places like right next to the government uh buildings to show them like that he's not afraid of them and he is not going to give up and he um and what this is very like disturbing 
he planned this out. He, um, it was, it was like back to school time for a lot of people in Colombia. And, uh, he found like this like general store where a bunch of people go, like in Bogota, like to get some school supplies. And he found like the perfect time where everybody would be in there. And he bombed the entire building and killed, oh killed a lot of like kids and their parents and stuff like that. He also bombed and he also bombed a plane. He got somebody, he got a kid who's just starting a family and without telling him what was going on, he said, he said, I'll give you $2 million if you go on this plane and hold this um, recording device and record what these people are saying. But the recording device was actually a bombing and it blew up oh, the plane. Wow. And yeah, so like, um, People, like, often say, like, well, why would they work for the Medellin cartel? How does it have so many members? Well, the the the, the answers for that in Colombia, especially at this time, nobody had a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. like... If you work for Pablo, If you, you work for money. Pablo, you get a lot of money. Like, you get millions of dollars. Like, the um, average salary for a police officer is only, like, $2 an hour there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, so, especially That's kids, really like... Low. Like, kids were trying to make money for their parents, and Pablo actually gave them jobs. Like, one of the main jobs was just looking out for police cars, and then they would get, like, this walkie-talkie and t- tell Pablo where the police are. And um, they would make a lot of money from that. But, however, uh, when the police would catch these kids, these kids range from around, like, 5 to, like, 16, the police would just shoot them. Oh, my goodness. So, so it was- wasn't just the Medellin cartel. It was also the police. Mm-hmm. And also the police will... Um, play a big part in the future which like the yeah. present which now is going on right now yeah so yeah that's what i was about to say so it's obvious though that even after pablo's death the the violence in colombia is still around right yes we'll talk about that in the next segment Before we move on to our last segment, we have an interview with carlos escobar about how life was during the time of violence in colombia yeah, life back then, uh, that was back when I was in high school. That was, uh, I think, between 1986 and 1989. Uh, I don't know how my parents allow me and my brother uh, to go out uh, to restaurants and, and, and go out with friends to, to watch uh, uh, soccer games and, and stuff like that because, I mean, at that time, that was the peak of the violence and the war between the cartels, uh, drug cartels, and the Colombian government. Uh, it was even very dangerous to to be next to a police car or a police officer because uh, they were targets and uh, you could have gotten killed or hurt by when the cartels were trying to hurt or kill the the police and the the government uh, officials. So it was very stressful. Um, Once again, I don't know how my parents uh, allow us to go out. and, And the sad thing is as, as dangerous and as stressful was, life was normal. I mean, you keep going out with friends, and you, I was in high school. I finished high school fine. Uh, my parents allow us to go out, and we have birthday parties and everything. So it's just crazy how uh, people adjust to this thing. Again, it's very sad, but um, that's how we we kind of live uh, during during that. Um, during that violence again i mean all the stuff changed over the years and life was much better now that i'm living here in the u.s uh, i mean i really appreciate uh what we had in here so we don't need to worry about all these uh crazy uh times that i live in there but again at that time 
Uh, it was a lot of violence in the streets. Um, uh, just uh, you never know when a bomb was going to blow up and a car next to you uh, because that was that was a war happening in the city. Uh, and, and it's something that you were not involved with, but uh, it was something that it was happening next to you. So, but again, at the end, uh, everything is fine uh, today and uh, we, we survived, I guess. Uh, may, many other people died and during that time, but uh, uh, and, and kind of the initial message was, I don't know how my parents allow us to, 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 to go out at night, but uh, we're fine for right now. Thank you, Carlos, for that insightful interview about how life was in Colombia during the times of violence. Since the fall of the Medellin cartel, Colombia has become much safer. However, recently, since April 2021, there's been mass protests causing major amounts of violence. So, what's causing this, like, uprising of violence? Well, uh, the president of Colombia, Ivan Duque, he raised taxes to the poor, uh, like, the poor classes, and to where they have to, like, pay, like, a bunch of, like, these tolls, pay for, like, all this stuff that they can't afford. So, basically, what happened is, um that just infuriated them like kind of like what happened in Bogota uh, yeah yeah so um they took to the streets and are protesting and but like the people that are causing the violence aren't necessarily the protesters it's the police the police are cause or um it's there's a lot of police brutality over there right now and um basically the police, um, the because the police are also really poor, and just pretty much everybody's poor. So, just the police are just having to do their job and just try to. And their only job is basically to just stop the protests, and uh, they just need to do it as quickly as possible. So, in their eyes, the quickest way is just to shoot them. So, basically, what's happening right now is the police are just going out and killing all these people that are protesting in the streets. And that's causing even more violence, which is just going on and on and on, and now and making Colombia more dangerous, like day by day. Um, so is this having like a worldwide impact, or is it like happening? Yes, there's been protests all over the world uh, uh, for the movement called SOS Colombia, which is basically a movement where we need to help like uh, Colombia, especially their like unstable government right now and help them like reform and be and uh like gain like structure has on um, the like neighboring countries kind of affect this violence so like for example like i know that venezuela is a um communist uh ruled government right yeah that really doesn't have an effect on this it's more of like the presidential decision people are very mad at um ivan duque however as you did mention they are uh like have you like what's going on in venezuela right now is the socialist party took over creating now it's communist right mm -hmm. so basically what's gonna happen is ivan duque is um is not a socialist um um president and he, the, his term is almost over. So once the presidential election goes on, um, 
more people are going to start voting for the Socialist Party, which will then Colombia could end up where Venezuela is today and become a communist like country. Yeah, and that wouldn't be no, good that would for not be good either. Economy. Yeah. yeah, especially with the poor economy. Yeah, that Colombia has. Uh, so this is definitely um, a very violent time right now that the Colombians are going through. Um, yeah, like. How, what is, um, in your, uh, as a person, if you were a person, like, in this kind of situation, what would you, like, trying to be doing to survive right now? Well, um, well, for, like, the average person, I mean, like, for instance, my, uh, grandparents live right there right now in Medellin where all these protests are going on, and they're just staying inside because... That's just your best bet, because if you go outside and if you happen to run through one of these protesters, there's going to be a lot of violence, and there's a and there's a good chance that you could get hurt. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, is um, is it just shootings or like is there like buildings um, being burned? Yes. They like uh, there's been some buildings that have been caught on fire by the police. They um are shootings that um. They, they're like these little bombs. They're throwing those out there. There's been tear gas. There's there's no rubber bullets. They're all real. And, um, and yeah, there's a bunch of videos online, stuff like that. And if you are, like, more curious to see what's going on right now, you can find all, like, these, like, videos. But they're very, very, like, gruesome and, vi- and violent. And, yeah. And, yeah, so they've been doing a a lot of like yeah so we can even see today that violence is still like an effect yes yes uh like culture or not culture i guess but like a conflict struggle Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so that's that's pretty much all we have to talk about right yeah that's that's our podcast yeah hope you enjoyed